you guys are having a fun time. You, you are, Elijah? Elijah was... Yeah, Elijah. I don't like how you kept shooting us all. You just kept getting us time after time after time. I could never pay attention because you were always shooting me. No, that's okay. That, that means you're good at paintball. So, that's a good thing. Yeah. You almost nailed me in the face. <laughs> There's a reason I was behind that thing. You were on the other side. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm really bummed that we couldn't be here this morning. We had this meeting that we had to be at. But I am 100% committed to pulling these MP3s off this voice recorder and listening to what Kyle and Gordy had to share this morning. And both these men, I can just say with absolute confidence, they've modeled whatever they shared this morning in pretty much any way you can possibly imagine. And they've really shown me what it is to love and follow God. And that goes for a lot of you guys in here. I remember seeing Wayne as a college student and so many of you in here that have just been such good examples of loving God. Mark, I love your passion for praising God. It's beautiful. I love praying with you every Tuesday. Mark and I meet together with a bunch of other people in Durango, and we pray together every Tuesday. I really love that, and I love you too, Mark. And I thank you for your heart, for God. Even Doug tonight. I had this one part of the talk tonight that I was really afraid could come across the wrong way to some people. And so I wanted to run it by Doug for two reasons. One, he's an older man that has a lot of life experience. And by older, I mean... By older, I mean older than me, Bob. <laughs> but see, it's funny, because when I got out there, he said that, that you were his older man that he goes to for... No, just kidding. <laughs> First lie. First lie. No, but it's really good. I needed some wisdom about this, and he, and he had that, and he had some great input. So there's... a different parts of this tonight that came straight from Doug's mouth. But there's another very important reason I asked him that was, if it does offend you, you can just blame Doug. No, <laughs> no, no if it does offend you, it's all, it's, you can blame me. <laughs> and then I look at all the college guys, gosh, like Joseph and Brandon and Dakota and Malcolm, and you guys, you make serving God exciting. It really is. I love seeing what God's doing in each of your lives and the ways you're taking steps of faith and you're trusting Him. Gosh, I loved driving up here with you, Joseph, yesterday and and just talking about what God's doing in your life and ways you're trusting Him. It's so exciting. So many people. Russ, I don't want to just talk about people in here, but I stand here and I can't help but just realize all the different people that have invested in my life. And Russ has discipled me now for like 12 years, something like that. And the, the discipleship process doesn't stop, right? And... Probably till the day one of us dies, <laughs> he'll be discipling me and, and investing in my life. And I love that. And my brother's here, who is my best friend. I just love Dave a lot. Dave, you've invested in my life. He's gone to seminary and has a degree in that and a normal degree from college, and he loves God. Oh, my brother Dave, right there. He's on the pool table. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's what the girls say, at least. Yeah. We have to watch out for Dave. Kevin, Dylan, holy cow. I love what God's doing in your life, Dylan, as you're growing up and learning to, to follow him. Dylan will Facebook me and ask me different questions about God here and there. It's really cool. I love all you guys. I really do. I look forward to these men's retreats. I just can't wait for them. And I can't wait for the next one. It's going to be exciting. So I want to talk about a very masculine subject tonight. Love languages. 
that look is priceless. The masculine topic of love languages, and I know you guys are thinking I'm crazy, but I really wanted a picture that would connect with you guys and that would really represent love languages. So Dylan, could you throw up that picture, the love languages picture? Yes. Many of you guys have heard about that topic or read that book. How many of you read the book? I didn't read it, but I did listen to the audio book. Is that what men do? <laughs> but anyway, I wanted to get to something important today. We've been talking about 1 Thessalonians 1.3, and it says, We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and that's what we're getting back to tonight, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're talking about the labor that love produces, or the actions that love produces. And as I thought about this and prayed about it for the last couple months, I thought, God, What do you want to share with the men? And what do you want us to get out of this idea about love and the labor that it prompts? And the thing that kept coming to my mind was, what is God's love language? There's something that is really, really special to God. And I want to share that tonight, because I think it's something that that each one of us in here can offer Him. So no matter where you're coming from, you can do this. So anyway, just kind of going back over 1 Thessalonians 1.3, it talks about... The work produced by faith. Remember that? Kyle talked about that today. The whole idea there being that our life occupation, what we do, comes out of our faith in God. And then it goes on, talks about love, which we're going to get to. And then Gordy, though, talked about hope and how that gives us perseverance. And the hope that we can have that's not based on physical circumstances, but on God Himself and our promises in Him and the hope that we have in Him. And so now... When you look at those three together, faith, hope, and love, how many of you guys have ever noticed how many times those come up in Scripture? I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's eight separate times in the New Testament that those three are mentioned together. And I used to read that and go, why in the world? Well, it's it's because of exactly that. These things are instrumental in every aspect of our walk with God. Basically, our, our entire life occupation, what you do with your life, you might be a plumber, but your life occupation is loving God and serving God. And then daily... Your love for Him is going to prompt you to do things that sometimes aren't easy. We'll get into that word in a minute and what that means. And the hope that we have in Him gives us perseverance through all that, guys. It's so fundamental to finishing the fight and to finishing the race that He's put us in. And to staying strong for the long haul. A lot of us in here, we're going to find ourselves in this battle for a long time. This isn't going to be over next week, right? We want to fight till the end. Okay, so God talks a lot about love in 1 John 4. 7 through 19. I'm just going to read that really quickly. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. We know that we live in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in Him and He in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now get this, we love because he first loved us. That's the whole point. 
Do you see how much it talked about how He loved us? Willing to give His own Son. Willing to die on the cross so that we could have a relationship with Him. So that we could have peace with God. That was the extent. He held nothing back. There was nothing that He wouldn't do for you, Joseph. He didn't say, I'll stop short here. Right? He loved me with that selfless love. And now I love because He first loved me. There's another way I could love, but I love because He loved me. So love is a big deal to God. And love is not just this fluffy feeling that's floating around out there. right? But love works itself out in my actions. So what's God's love language? God's love language is obedience. But it's not just obedience out of necessity. But it's obedience out of my heart for Him. It's obedience out of trust, truly putting Him first, not myself. Coming to the point where I realize I'm not where I need to be, and I need to follow Him, I need to trust Him. And Jesus put it this way, put it bluntly. He said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Okay, so what's the inverse of that? If I don't obey what He commands, I'm showing that I don't love Him. And again, we're not talking about like the Pharisees here just obeying for the sake of obeying. But in a relationship with God, I will love Him. In John 15, 14, remember, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Same idea. His love language is obedience from the right heart. 1 John three eighteen, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. See, God isn't just after me saying how much I love him, but he's after that coming out in how I live my life. It's kind of what, what we've been talking about all weekend. This is going to come out in my life occupation. This is going to come out in the perseverance that I have for the long haul. And you guys, it's going to come out in my actions today. Philippians 2.21 is probably the saddest verse in the entire Bible. It's not disturbing. It's challenging, though. But it is very sad. That's a good question, by the way. Here's what it says. In Philippians 2.21, we're told, Everyone looks out for his own interests, not the interests of Jesus Christ. that often the case? So, I mean, loving him is obeying his commands, but oftentimes, even though I say that I love him, I look out for my own interests and not his. And the reality is that there's an aspect of love that's totally missing when I look after my own interests instead of his. I'm not truly loving him. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not that, that he's not my father. I'm not saying that I'm not saved at that point. Right? He's in my life, and it's not because I'm a perfect son. It's not because of my works. It's because of his works. But you guys, if I truly do love him, I'm going to be more interested in his interests than my own. And that's kind of what we're getting at. I want to take a minute and look at James 1.22. It tells us, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If we just listen, we deceive ourselves. When I'm not putting my love into action by being obedient to God, when I'm not putting action behind what I say I believe, God's word, I become deceived. Now check this out in your own life. I want to do a little test here. Go back to Barna for some statistics. And he says between 2 and 8% of Christians tithe. Not even 10%. Tithe 10%. <laughs> that's, that's a sad, sad thing. And, and do some math. This is not by any means statistical or scientific. But it's just something to think about. I think it's generally somewhere around 80% of Americans claim to be Christians. At least they, they identify with the Christian faith in some way. And they say that America controls 70% of the world's wealth. You guys have probably heard that stat, right? You college students. If you do the math, that would mean that Americans that claim to be Christians control upwards of 50% of the world's wealth. But not even 10% of us are giving. Doug, as a pastor, what would you hear when people say, well, I can't give because... 
afford it. I don't have the money to give. Do we have the money to give? Absolutely. We're still some of the richest people in the world. I think if you make over $29,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the richest people on this planet. Over 67% of Americans make over $29,000 a year. Okay, so we ha- we can afford it, but beyond just the stats, Philippians 4.19 says that we have enough, that God will meet every single need. So I can trust Him. See, again, this whole trust issue is working out in my obedience to Him. If He says He will meet every need, will He? Yes, He will. He will meet every need, 4.19. Out of 4.18, they're giving. See, as I give, He in turn meets every need. Does that make sense? Because when I'm not being obedient, I kind of stop him from blessing me. You guys can read Malachi 3.10 and see more about that. He promises that he will open up the floodgates of heaven as I'm faithful to tithe. So do I have enough money to tithe? Do you have enough money to tithe? Okay, now what happens when God commands me to do something like tithe and I don't do it? I become deceived. I start to believe I can't afford to give. You see that cycle? I become deceived. Even though I have, I don't believe that I have. Because I didn't take the step of obedience. Or why don't people share their faith? They say people don't want to hear. Jesus said the harvest is right, Matthew 9, 37. Jesus said in John 12 that he's drawing every man unto himself. He said that he would do that if he was lifted up on the cross. That's in verses 32 and 33. That happened. So I can deduce that since Jesus is not a liar, he is drawing every man to himself. So when I look at my coworker, or when I sit in the snack bar in my office, and I look at students in there, I can know with confidence that God is working in their lives, whether or not I know it or they know it. Now, when he tells me to share my faith, and I don't do that, I become deceived and start to believe they are not interested, even though he already told me clear as day, he's working in their lives. So do you guys see this pattern here? Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. The best Christian training you could ever get in a hundred years without application equals deception. Does that make sense? God says, put it into action. And not just because you're being a Pharisee and you have to. Put it into action out of love for me. That's my love language. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Again, putting those three together. It's one of those eight passages in the New Testament. It says, but the greatest of these is what? Love. Love. The greatest of these is love. And why is it the greatest? Because it's actually the driving force that causes me, out of the right heart, to live the life that God put me here to live, to make the difference that He called me to make. Those three are completely connected. Faith, hope, and love. You cannot separate them. Get this, guys. Hebrews 11.1 kind of ties those together. Remember this? Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. I used to read that verse and go, what in the world does that mean? I don't understand what the substance of things hoped for is. So, here's faith, and here's hope. And what's the substance of that? Okay, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, I forgot to tell you guys something when I started. Russ told me tonight that he would give $1 million to anybody that would run up and take that Bible out of his hands. (laughs) Okay, most of you guys didn't get up, right? Why didn't you get up? There ain't, there ain't no million dollars in Russ's bank. What? We know Russ doesn't have a million dollars. We know Russ doesn't have a million dollars. I just want to make you sweat. Okay, now you guys, track with me here. If you knew Russ had a million dollars, or if you believed he did, if you were sure of it, 
Would you have gone up and did that? You'd be, you guys would be fighting to get to rest. See, faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, faith is the, the living out of what we truly believe, what we truly hope for. If I was hopeful that Russ would give me a million dollars, I would live like that were true. Right? That would be the substance of things hoped for. Hebrews 11 is kind of tying all this back together, right? And it's where James 2.26 says, Faith without works is dead. Faith and hope come together in love, working itself out in obedience to God from the right heart. It's a lifestyle of living like God is true, of living like His Word is true. When I don't live like His Word is true, faith and hope are kind of meaningless, right? Because I'm proving by my life that, that they're not authentic in my life. And so, the greatest of those is love. The greatest of those is love. Now, now here's God's plan, guys. Here's the cycle that God intended. I kind of like to think through things cyclically. I don't know if that's just because Joseph and I are science majors. Elijah. Ryan, you guys are scientists. I'm Gordy's a math teacher. He'd like this stuff too. All these equations. But honestly, guys, here's a cycle that I think that you can take to the bank. Number one, love God. Number two, out of that heart, out of that commitment, out of that love and conviction of who God is, like Russ talked about the first night, what comes out of that? Obedience to Him. Because I trust Him and take Him up at His word. Right? So obedience comes out of that love. Now what happens when I obey God? Brandon, what happens when you obey God? Good things happen. What kind of good things? Things that you could do on your own? No. Does God show up? God shows up, doesn't He? Do you think he shows up in a way that he proves himself to be trustworthy? Ephesians 3.20 Immeasurably more than you can imagine or expect. Isn't that true? God doesn't just kind of go, oh, I'll halfway show up. It's Brandon again. I showed up pretty good last time. So this time I'm going to kind of blow him off. Because Kevin asked me to. Only God can't be in two places at once. Right? No, God shows up immeasurably more than we can imagine or expect. Or even ask, it tells us in Ephesians 3.20. See, do you see the cycle? If I love God, take Him at His word, step out in obedience, He shows up. And when He shows up, I know I can trust Him. And what happens when you know you can trust God? The cycle keeps going. (laughs) I love Him that much more. Because I know I can trust Him. I know He has not let me down. Six years ago, we walked away from our jobs and said, God, you've got to pay our bills. He's never let us down. Every single month our mortgage gets paid, guys. God is showing me, you can trust me. You can trust me. Oh yeah, mortgage paid. Yeah, you can trust me. See how that cycle works? And now when I trust God more, what happens after that? I obey Him more. Do you see the cycle? That's kind of how God intended it to be. Love Him. Obey Him. He shows himself faithful, that trust grows. I love him more, I obey him more. He shows himself faithful, that trust grows. I love him more, I obey him more. He shows himself faithful, I trust him more. It keeps going. And that's how growth happens in the Christian life. Like Russ always says, growth doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen when I'm just sitting on the couch hoping it happens. But it happens when I'm taking steps of faith, stepping out on a limb and saying, God, you better show up, because if not, I'm dead. That's what we say a lot on campus, too. Get yourself in a situation where if God doesn't show up, you're dead. Malcolm's good at that. Malcolm in Dakota. Now, I'm going to get to a process that's a lot more typical in a lot of our lives. Wouldn't it be great if that was always a process? That'd be pretty sweet. But sometimes it's not that way. It goes more like this. I 
say I love God. And I probably really think I do. And then I have an opportunity to obey God. And I don't. What's the result of that? What do we call that first? Sin. Now, what's the result of my sin? Hebrews 12 talks about it. Is it fun? Are there consequences? (laughs) Is there discipline? Okay, there's a lot of junk, right? There's a lot of junk. So what happens is, I say I love God, and then I don't obey God, and then I experience the natural consequences of my own decision not to obey God. And then what happens when we experience those not-such-fun things, usually? We wonder why God let it happen. God, where were you? (laughs) Does that make sense? I have people go, you wouldn't believe the stuff God's let happen to me. And they'll start rattling through the list, and every single thing they mention comes directly from a decision they made that went flat out against what God's Word said. And why did they get into that boat in the first place? Because they didn't trust God. We earn that when we take those steps our own way and choose not to take Him up at His Word. And I see the result of my sin, and I falsely attribute that to God and ask why. What does that result in? Compare it to the last cycle. I trust God less, right? Because God just let me down. Well, He didn't really just let you down. He actually just proved Himself faithful because exactly what He said happened would happen. But I perceive that because my heart isn't in the right place is Him letting me down. So I'm not going to trust Him next time. So what happens next time? The cycle repeats itself. It's not a good thing, right guys? I'm really hoping that we get to the key here of obedience. Out of the right heart. Not just saying, do it because you have to, okay? But do you really love God? Do you really trust God? Are you willing to take Him up at His word and live your life like He is true? Because if you are, you're going to see Him proving Himself to be true and building that confidence, building that trust, building that relationship as we do the hard things, as we do the things that aren't necessarily so easy. This could come across a little crass, Try to get on the same page with me. Try to understand where I'm coming from. Now, marriage involves physical intimacy. We asked Russ, Russ, what do you think when you think the word intimacy? He goes, sex. That's how kind of we as men think. Is there more to it than that? There's a lot more to it than that. (laughs) Bob says, absolutely. If you thought there wasn't more to it than that, then you've probably been disappointed thus far. Because there's a whole relationship that is built around that. There's a lot there. There's communication. There's a whole lot that goes into that intimacy. Time spent together. Talking. And it's very satisfying emotionally. And it's very satisfying intellectually. And it's very satisfying physically. In this marriage relationship that God has created for us. Now when I look at that, guys, there's this intimacy that God is calling me to. With Him. That consumes every aspect of my life. It's a trust and it's closeness that that nothing compares with. Now, I know, because my wife is pregnant right now, that in my physical relationship, that intimacy will also produce children. Okay? Now, similarly with God, guys... This intimate relationship with God, as I grow closer to Him, loving Him with every single part of who I am, that will result in spiritual fruit, and and specifically spiritual offspring. Does that make sense? Okay? 
John 15, if you abide in me, you're going to bear much fruit. Right? Verse 16, it'll be fruit that lasts. Why is it fruit that lasts? Because people last. See, God wants to produce fruit in you and through you. And that comes out of intimacy with Him. Just like that physical fruit comes out of an intimate relationship with your wife. Okay, you guys tracking with me? Now here's where it could take a turn, so bear with me here. There's a physical imitation to sex. It's selfish, and it's self-pleasing, and it does not result in any kind of fruit. It's just personally pleasing, and it's not something that results in children or offspring. It ends with my pleasure. It doesn't go on to the next generation. Now here's where I want to challenge you guys is, as Christians, we have a spiritual version of that. Where we want to hop from one thing to the next to get a spiritual experience. To get an emotional experience that feels good, and that meets some kind of spiritual need that I have, but without any spiritual consequences, without any spiritual fruit like God intended. Does that make sense? This is something that you guys can see all around. It's the church-hopping mentality of a lot of Christians in America. People ask me, why do you go to the River Church in Durango? Do you think that's the best church in Durango? And I'll tell them honestly, no, I don't. I don't think it's the best church in Durango. I don't think any church is the best church in Durango. Growing up, my dad would always say, if you find a perfect church, don't go there, you'll ruin it. And maybe you guys have heard that quote before. But here's, here's the deal, guys. I tell people I'm committed to being committed. I'm not committed to that church because Sunday mornings are the best morning of my life. I'm committed to that church because that's the body where over a decade ago my wife and I chose when we were dating to be committed and to grow. And there are going to be times like in any family where we butt heads. And you know what? I'm still going to be committed and I'm going to grow. And until, until there's flat out heresy, I'm there. Does that make sense? And there have been times where we were extremely offended at our church by something that someone did or said, and we said that is not reason to leave our family where God told us to be committed. It's an opportunity for me to grow, to be the person God wants me to be, to learn how to forgive, and to learn how to take the steps I need to take. So anyway, oftentimes in America, as Christians, we've gotten this mentality where I'm going to chase the spiritual experience from here to there to who knows where. I'm going to listen in the next big tape or CD or MP3. We're talking about the history and the progression of audio formats in the car up here, Joseph and I were. Or I'm going to chase the next big book. You know, that that big book, that's the big thing this year, so I'm going to do it. Because it's the next spiritual experience. And God is saying, forget that. I've called you to true intimacy with me that will revolutionize your life, and it will also have fruit for eternity. And sometimes it will hurt. Sometimes it won't be easy. In fact... When we go back to 1 Thessalonians 1.3, it says your labor prompted by love. You know what that word labor there is? In the Greek, it's kopos. You know what it means? A striking or a beating. What Paul is getting at there is sometimes this isn't going to be super fun and exciting and exhilarating and easy. There are going to be struggles. And your flesh is going to have to die. And that's not going to be fun, I promise. But see, if I love God, it says that's going to result in this labor, this painful, striking, beating, not always fun labor. But why am I willing to do that? Would you guys endure that for your wife? Would you? If somebody said, you know what? Either I shoot your wife or I amputate your leg. <laughs> like, amputate them both. <laughs> you know? Would we endure that hard, painful labor for our spouse? See, God's calling us to that same kind of commitment to Him 
where I'm willing to live that out in my daily life. And sometimes it won't be easy. There are times where Russ has gotten students and said, let's go share our faith. And they're, they're terrified out of their minds. I don't want to do that. But we take that step, even though it's fearful and hard, and God shows up big, going back to that again. I took the step doing the hard thing, and God showed up big. And that develops that love relationship with Him. So God is calling us away from that fruitless, self-driven, self-pleasurable Christianity to a place of committed intimacy with Him that will revolutionize you from the inside out and it will revolutionize everything around you. John Wesley said, light yourself on fire and people will come from thousands of miles away to watch you burn. That's the point here, guys. Am I going to light myself on fire for Him and come to that point where, where He's everything, nothing else matters? 1 Kings 18.21 you remember this? Mount Carmel, Elijah calling fire down from heaven. This great miracle. And what does he say to the people of Israel there? How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. And that's the point here. Either He's God or He's not. And if He is, follow Him. That's what He's calling us to. Choose today who you will serve. Follow Him. There's nobody else worth following. I heard it put this way recently. No Lord is an impossible statement. I can't say no Lord. Either he's Lord or he's not Lord. But I can't say no Lord. If he's Lord, he's Lord. So, if he is Lord, do what he says. You know what he's called you to do. Don't pull a Jonah. Ooh, I'm supposed to go there. I'm heading there. Don't pull a Jonah. Do what he says. First, obey his general commands. That's stuff that's in Scripture for all of us. Okay, guys? And then, out of that, obey his specific commands. Things that he's called every one of you in this room to do that you know specifically he's called you to do, that maybe he hasn't called me to do. It's both those. Do the hard things as you're following those general and specific commands. Be willing to do the hard things. Man up, (laughs) in a sense. So many men, it just takes a little bit to stop you. Russ always puts it this way, and I think he might have got some of this from Howard Hendricks. The measure of a man is what does it take to get you going, and what does it take to stop you? What does it take to get you going, What does it take to stop you? Now, if it takes a whole lot to get you going and very little to stop you, you're not much of a man. So, growth is taking those two walls and pushing them further apart. The way that works is by doing it. I'm going to do something a day that took less to get me started than it did yesterday. And I'm going to do it longer than I did yesterday. I'm going to go further than I was willing to go yesterday. Last fall, I took this Romanian guy elk hunting. And we shot two elk, the furthest point away from our car that we were going to be the entire day. Okay? took us 11 hours to get those elk out of the woods on our backs, making multiple trips. We get to the car after the first trip with about 80 pounds on each of our backs, and he goes, I'm done. I said, no, you are not. (laughs) You're coming back down there with me, and we're getting the rest of that elk. And I went through that analogy with him. I said, you could stop right now, but you're showing that it's very little that it takes to get you to stop. So let's go back down there and get that elk and push those boundaries further apart. Right? Grow into the man that God created you to be. It's the same thing with us. What does it take to get me going? What does it take to stop me? It's the whole idea of the comfort zone that I have and expanding that by taking steps of faith and obeying Him. And I'm not just saying do this to do it. I'm not just saying do this to do it. But do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, guys. You can't just do it by trying harder on your own. You're going to fail if you do that. And you need to do it daily in the power of His Spirit, realizing only He can do it in and through you. Ezekiel 2, 1 through 2. 
is a unique verse from the Old Testament, but it illustrates this to me. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. And as he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. You see how God commanded Ezekiel? And then the Holy Spirit enabled Ezekiel to obey God. And he does the same thing with each one of us as I simply allow him to on a constant and daily basis. But I've got to have the right heart. I've got to be choosing to take that step. 2 Corinthians 5, 14-15 Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Point here is God loved you enough to die for you. And that love is going to compel me. Remember, we love because he loved us first. That love is going to compel me to live for him and not for myself. God's love language, one more place, 1 John 5, 3. This is love for God, to obey His commands. This is love for God, to obey His commands. That verse doesn't end there, but it continues. And His commands are not burdensome. There are going to be hard things, but it's not burdensome. This is the key to the greatest life that this world has ever known. This is the key to the adventure, the risk, the excitement that all of us men yearn for. And we've said that a million times at these retreats. But if you want to experience abundant life, like Jesus promised in John 10.10, it starts with taking steps of faith every day to trust Him and to obey Him out of love. Recently, my friend Tim Clemens had a, a very awesome insight into Psalm 1611. Psalm 16.11 says, In your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forever. Pleasures forever. That sounds good, right? Pleasures forever. Fullness of joy. It's good stuff. And Tim said, what does it mean to be at God's right hand? I I thought, whoa, okay. I just kind of read that and caught the last part. I kind of skipped over the whole at his right hand part. And he said, "Well, well, Jesus is at God's right hand, right? I said, yeah. It tells us that in Acts 2.33. And he goes, why is Jesus at God's right hand? He goes, because he did what the Father commanded. You can read that in John 14, verse 10. So he says, as we obey what God commands, we too be at his right hand. It's at that place of obedience that I experience pleasures forevermore. Again, why, why are they pleasures forever? Because it's fruit that will last, John 15, 16. It's people that for the rest of eternity, you get to praise God together. It's your life invested today on this earth making a difference forevermore. And you having joy forevermore in that fruit because of your obedience, because of your trust, because of your love for God. So I want to experience that fullness of joy, those pleasures forevermore. And that comes today, saying I'm going to be obedient to you, God. And so, summarizing, God is after your heart, and He's after you trusting Him, and He's after you living that out in obedience to Him every day. And that's the greatest life you could ever live. Some of you guys, I'm guessing out of all of you, have never begun a a relationship with Christ. And if that's you, the Bible's pretty clear. It says that God loves you. In fact, it says that He loves you so much that His thoughts for you outnumber the sand of the seas. It says He's loved you with an everlasting love. In other words, before you ever even existed, He already loved you. Knowing that you would and desiring that relationship already, that's how much God loves you. Loving you enough that He would send His own Son to die for you. And the reason that He had to send His own Son to die for you is 
you are sinful and you are selfish. I am too. And that separates me from God. We all know that. If I go up and slap Malcolm right now, our relationship isn't going to be too good, right? See, sin separates. It does it in every human relationship, and it does it with God too. Does that make sense? My sin separates me from God. He's perfect, I'm imperfect. There's nothing I could ever do to bridge that gap on my own, but He sent Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for every single sin, for my past, for my present, for my future, so that I could have eternal life with Him. But if you don't know Christ, He's called you to receive Him. In John 1.12 it says, to those that received Him, He gave them the right to become children of God. So what God is asking is that you come to that point of saying, I receive that free gift. I realize that I'm sinful and separated from you and I desperately need you, Jesus, to come into my life. So the application for tonight is if you've never made that decision, I want to challenge you to not leave this retreat without making that decision. And the best way for you to make that decision would be to talk to the person that brought you and have a conversation together about what that relationship is all about. And for the rest of us, I don't have any clue what your step is, but you do. We all know. We all know what the step is that we need to take. So I just want to encourage you to take that to God and see it as God's love language. And see it as a way of showing God that you love Him. To go home and say that one hard thing that I haven't wanted to do, whether it's a conversation or an action or, you know, not me. To go home and say, you know what, God, I love you, and I'm going to take that step. So that's all I have for tonight. We are going to do the man championship after this. So thank you, guys.